Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Today, we're in Nashville, Tennessee, home of hot chicken and goo-goo clusters. A little later on, we'll be talking to Jason Ringenberg, leader of the legendary band Jason and the Scorchers. Jason also has a new solo record out called Stand Tall. We'll talk to him about his records, about the early days of touring, and about his favorite dish to get while on tour in the UK. But first, let's talk a little food in Nashville. What to eat? Hey, you gonna finish that? On Destination Eat Drink. Subscribe to Destination Eat Drink wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or at radiomisfits.com. Nashville has become known for one dish above all others, hot chicken. And the place to get hot chicken is the famous Prince's Hot Chicken Shack. Thornton Prince III gets credit for inventing hot chicken back in the early 70s, but it's probably his living girlfriend who deserves credit. Thornton was known as a, uh, to put it kindly, as a womanizer. And coming home very late and rather intoxicated one night, Thornton's girlfriend thought that she would teach him a lesson. He asked for her to make him some chicken, and so she did. But she made it so incredibly hot in an attempt to change Thornton's straying ways. But instead, the plan backfired, and Thornton loved the hot, hot chicken. And now, hot chicken is everywhere in Nashville. Prince's Hot Chicken Shack, you can get it there. Hattie B's is also very famous for hot chicken. And if you're a vegetarian, don't fear. There's a place called the Southern V. They make a vegan version of hot chicken in Nashville. Destination Eat Drink. Well, I'm very happy to have our next guest on the program. Jason Ringenberg is a singer, songwriter, and guitar player who leads the groundbreaking band Jason and the Scorchers. He's also a solo artist. His new album is fantastic. It's called Stand Tall. Jason, welcome to Destination Eat Drink. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jason. And before we go on, you know, just great to talk to an Illinois Mabel's uh, alumni. <laughs> I saw online, I got, uh, I got an old Mabel's t-shirt. <laughs> so I, I wear that sometimes. And uh, boy, I remember those days fondly. You guys used to roar through champagne, I guess, between uh, Southern Illinois and uh, Chicago. And man, those were some good times. They were at that. They were some great shows at Mabel's. It was a great room. I mean, fantastic. You know, your band, Jason and the Scorchers, came out of Nashville in the early 80s. And you guys were the very first band to mix country music and punk rock. Did you know at that time that you were creating something so revolutionary in music? Well, we knew we had like a special chemistry. We knew that because that was just happening immediately in the stages in front of us. I don't know that we knew, you know, that 40 years later we'd be talking about those days again, you know, still. I don't, I don't think we really realized that. But we knew it was, we were on to a good thing. How, how'd, you, how'd you come up with the idea? Because at that time, I mean, punk rock 
and country music couldn't have been more divergent from each other. I mean, it would be like mixing opera and bluegrass. You know, how, how do you come up with this idea? Well, it was a natural thing. I've been doing it a little bit in bands before that, you know, in, in Illinois, actually, Shakespeare's Riot and the Catalinas. Um, but with the Scorchers, it perfected into a, a real art form. You know, we, you know, those guys were just national street punks with a lot of punk rock credentials in Nashville, but having had country music roots as well. So it was a real natural thing for us. You know, those Scorcher shows were legendary. I remember seeing you guys at uh, Mabel's in Champaign, Illinois. Warner on guitar, whirling like a dervish. You were just a crackling live wire of motion and energy. What what were those early days like on the road? Well, you never knew a day, day or even minute to minute what was going to happen. You know, it was uh, sometimes... People would invite us into their homes and make dinner for us and put us up and you know, get us to the show and stuff. And then other times people would, would just want to beat us up. <laughs> <laughs> you never knew it was going to happen. It's always an adventure. Nice. So your new record is out now. It's called Stand Tall. I, I love this record because it covers so much musical ground. You've got a song about a Civil War veteran. You've got a song that uh, the instrumental Stand Tall kind of reminds me of New Riders of the Purple Sage. And you've got what has to be the only punk rock, Americana, rock and roll song ever written about environmentalist John Muir. It's called John Muir Stood Here. How, how did that song come about? Well, I was doing an artist-in-residency program at the Sequoia National Park. I was actually standing right, in a, right by a sign that said John Muir used to come to the, the spot and sort of commune with, with, with God Almighty and nature. And I just thought, you know, John Muir stood here would be a great, a great, you know, a great idea to do a song about it. It, it happened really fast. The song sort of fell out of the sky and I wrote it really quickly. I wrote several songs that day when I was, I was wandering around Square Grove. Some of the best songs, they, they just drop out of the sky like they've already been written, huh? True. That is absolutely the truth. I always say that you can do everything yourself. You can make records, you can tour, you can do good shows, you can do all your artwork, you can do all the promotion. But the songs come from God. No question about it. They're a gift from God. You said you were an artist in residence. Remind me again, you were an artist in residence uh, where for this? Sequoia National Park is where I I did my residency. How did something like that come about, Jason? Well, I was at a pretty down time in my musical career, uh, you know, four or five years ago. And uh, I wasn't really even thinking uh, there was much of a future for me in music, honestly. And uh, then right out of the blue, the National Park Service contacted me just literally just contacted me directly and said, we'd like you to be the artist in residency at the Sequoia National Park uh, for a month and and gave me the, the details. And before they finished the third sentence, I said, yes, uh, I just sounded so cool. So yeah, I went out in the uh, June of, 19, of 2017 and they put me up in a cabin up in the Sierra Nevada. Uh, there was no power in the cabin. I had, uh, you know, I could walk out my door and be in the mountains in just a matter of a few minutes or hike down a thousand feet and be in some of the sequoia groves, some of the upper uh, elevation sequoia groves. It was an amazing experience. All they wanted me to do was write songs. And they didn't even have to write songs about sequoia. They just said, and they're your songs. They didn't, they didn't ask for the property on the song. They just wanted me to write songs and do a few shows at the park. I, I couldn't say no to that. It sounds absolutely gorgeous. I mean, out in a cabin in the Sequoia National Park. And 
how how long were you there? One month. Sounds beautiful. Well, the result is this uh, is this great album, Stand Tall. How how many of the songs on Stand Tall were a result of you being in the Sequoia National Park? Well, most all of them, really. Uh, even the covers, the ideas for them, uh, in in large part, came from my time out there, and I was thinking about music and and thinking about maybe doing another record. But I th- all the originals, except I'm Walking Home, came from the experience. You On the album, you've got a song called uh, God Bless the Ramones, and it's kind of one of those autobiographical songs where you sing about uh, the early Jason days out on the road and what the Ramones meant to you. Talk, talk about the Ramones' influence on uh, you personally. Well, the Ramones were a big influence on the band. You know, Jeff was a huge Ramones fan, Warner was. Um, and our first real tour, we, we did a lot of shows in the early days, shows you saw at Mabel's in Champaign in the Midwest and in the South and up the East Coast. But our first real opening for our major act was opening for the Ramones in Texas in 1982. And it was an eye-opening experience, man. It was it was crazy. Uh, it was nothing like, we'd never seen anything like that before or experienced anything like that. But I have to say, the, the Ramones themselves, for all that, you know, the Queen's bravado and the tough guy thing, they were really quite nice guys. You know, they were really pretty cool. I mean, Dee Dee gave us, you know, food from his dressing room and let Jeff have some bass strings. And, you know, Jeff didn't even have bass strings. We, we barely had money to get to the first show in Beaumont, Texas. So, I mean, we were, we were half starved and they let us eat. And uh, they were just really cool people. Really nice. You know, it's, it's funny because I talked with uh, Kevin Russell, who's in Shiny Ribs. He was in the Gourds. And he's from that area. And I asked him about this because I didn't know what the punk rock influence was down in Texas. He said, oh, yeah, man, we were we were totally into the SST bands. We were totally into that uh, back in the early 80s. Um, did you see a lot of uh, did you see a lot of fans coming out to see you guys and to see the Ramones in those days? No, because we were just a new band. Um, they were, you know, they were there to see the Ramones 100 percent. No doubt about that. So punk rock was alive and well in Texas back in the early 80s. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they were packed rooms. They were big rooms. We were playing, I wouldn't say theaters, but they were big clubs. You know, the big Texas, you know, 2,000-seat clubs. Um, big, big rooms. Big, big open space. Uh, and, you know, full production. And the Ramones were killing it. They were, they were doing real business then. And it was, a, you know, it was an eye-opening experience for us. Now, you've also released several successful records and a video as Farmer Jason. How, how did the Farmer Jason persona come about? Well, I started a second family at, in 2000. I should say we. My wife has something to do with that, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we started listening to children's music and some of the local artists that were doing children's music here in, Nash- in Nashville. And I, the kids would just listen to these songs over and over again. They love these artists. You know, they're like a part of our family. And I just thought it'd be a cool thing to do that myself. So I started that sort of this fun thing. And I had a, a really good run with it. A lot of fun with Farmer Jason. Do you still do the Farmer Jason thing? I do do shows occasionally, yes. Yeah. So let's talk food, Jason. Uh, it's called Destination Eat Drink. So let's talk food and drink. Um, you moved to Nashville from Illinois. Uh, what's your favorite place to eat in Nashville? Well, it seems that me and Susie always eat at a pl- an Indian place called uh, Sitar. It's a local, locally owned, family owned Indian restaurant. It's been around forever, and uh, you know for decades. The same family, and uh, we actually sort of started our relationship there. That's where we had our first date and or 
you know, second date, I think. And we, and we, you know, decided to become a couple. And so it's always been a special place for us. Great food, you know, good Indian food in Nashville. You know, um, it's funny you say your first date with your, uh, with your girlfriend, now wife was at a restaurant. Um, same with me, you know, years ago we went to this Italian place and we kept going back and back. They ended up closing up the place, moved to Spain, and we loved them so much we followed them to Spain and visited their uh, their new restaurant in Spain. It's amazing how going to a restaurant and making that relationship uh, can be something that lasts with you forever. That's fantastic. Wow. Now that's dedication. That's brand loyalty right there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, there's another thing in Nashville called Goo Goo Clusters. Now, I've never had Goo Goo Clusters, but I'll bet your kids loved Goo Goo Clusters. Goo Goo Clusters have been around forever. Yeah, they were the, the primary um, uh, supporter of the Opry, advertiser on the Opry, Grand Ole Opry, for, uh, since the Opry was you know on TV. Um, and the Goo Goo Clusters, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a Tennessee, Mid-South sort of thing. It's good. It's really good junk food. It's it's really good. Good candy. Yeah. It's got like a marsh. I, I read about it. Like I said, I've never had it. So it's kind of like a cross between a moon pie and maybe peanut M&Ms. It's got uh, the marshmallow. It's got the chocolate. It's got the peanuts in it. Exactly. The marshmallow is the big thing that separates it from a Snickers bar or, you know, as you say, you know, the, those kind of nut driven candies. You're touring the UK in support of your new album, Stand Tall. Uh, any places you're looking forward to when you're in England and Scotland? Any restaurants, any dishes that you want to have or try? Oh, yes, absolutely. Every time I go to the uh, to the UK, to Great Britain, I always, one night, and it usually needs to be an off night, I have legitimate fish and chips. I mean, fish and chips like we get here or fish and chips that you might get at the London airport or something. It's not fish and chips. Fish and chips need to be a proper fish and chips shop. And every town in England and Scotland has a fish and chips shop. And it's an experience beyond just the food. For starters, most dishes and restaurants in, in, the, in, in the Great Britain, you get very small helpings and it's just small like everything in the UK. You know, it's all small. Fish and chips is a huge dinner. It's a gigantic piece of fish and a big, big uh, pile of chips, which we, they, what they call chips. Those are, are fries. We call fries are, they're chips. That's what they call them. And every single condiment that you get, you have to pay for. It's a really interesting thing. If you get mushy peas, you have to have mushy peas. Uh, mushy peas cost like 90p, 90, 90 pence. Uh, the little spoon to eat the peas costs 3p. Uh, <laughs> vinegar, that's a little bit extra. You know, uh, yeah, you pay for every little thing. Like it's like these little pennies for every little piece of this fish and chips. I'm going to save three P and, and eat it with my hands. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what you can do. And so every tour of the UK, I try to find, you just find the local one. You ask the locals, what, where's the legitimate fish and chips shop? And they'll tell you where to go. You usually see one, maybe two in each town. There's no such thing as a fish and chips chain. That's proper fish and chips. There's all kinds of chips chains like hamburger chains in the U.S. They're not fish and chips. You got to go to the local one that's that's locally owned, and that no one really, you know, that the tourists don't really know about. And it's a fantastic experience. But you better go to, be prepared to veg out now. Then afterwards for three or four hours easily. <laughs> <laughs> not that. Well, there's more fat in a fish and chips dinner than than you know, you should get all week. 
And I see on this uh, tour you're heading to one of my favorite UK cities, which is Glasgow in Scotland. Um, you know, everyone goes to Edinburgh in Scotland. I can't remember if you guys are going to Edinburgh on this tour or not. But uh, Glasgow is kind of more working class uh, type of place. This is where I learned about the Glasgow Kiss, which is if you're rooting for the wrong soccer team, they might headbutt you in, in a bar. But anyway, what about uh, Glasgow? Have, have you been to Glasgow before? And what, uh, what are you looking forward to when you guys go to uh, Glasgow this time? Glasgow is, is a f fantastic place for music. Uh, usually working class towns are good for music for some unexplainable reason. Rock and roll music and country music, folk music, blues music, all go over good in those kinds of towns. And Glasgow is an epitome. It's a quintessential working class city. Um, and yeah, I, I love shows in Glasgow. I, it's one of my favorite places to play. It's true. They have music, it seems, every night. And you just walk around and you see what bar has a sign out front that says they're going to have music. You walk in. If you like it, you hang around. If you don't, you go on to you go on to the next one. Right. Exactly. So what about uh, in the U.S., Jason? What towns do you especially look forward to? that you're going to visit on tour and say, man, I can't wait to go to such and such a restaurant for a meal. Well, usually there's not time to properly enjoy food on the road. You're usually, it's so Spartan and you have to get to where you got to go and do the show. The exception of that for me always is every two years, I'll do a farmer Jason uh, residency in Louisiana, South Louisiana. And uh, I just, you know, I, I camp out in one of the, in one of the uh, towns in South Louisiana. And then I spend three or four weeks doing shows in all the libraries uh, as Farmer Jason. So always there, I have time to really enjoy, you know, Cajun and Creole cuisine. And that's just the best. Um, there's, I, I'd be hard pressed to, to name the one place I like, so I like them all. There, you can always find great, great Creole food and Cajun food in, in, in uh, South Louisiana. That's always my favorite. What's some of your favorite uh, Creole dishes when you're there? Oh, of course, jambalaya. Um, anything shrimp-based is always just fantastic. You know, I, you know, any, it, shrimp anywhere but Louisiana is a, you know, it's sort of a last resort usually. Um, shrimp in Louisiana is sublimely incredible, delicious. It's so fantastic. Fresh, fresh shrimp. Man, they do love their shrimp in South Louisiana, don't they? Um, you just did a, a, a Jason show, a solo show in, uh, it's not really your hometown, but it's kind of where you're from, uh, Carbondale, which is in far southern Illinois. Sold out show in Carbondale. Um, I'm sure you spent, you went to college at uh, Southern Illinois University, go Salukis. Um I'm sure you spent some time in Carbondale. Any favorite places in Carbondale where you like to hang? Yeah, the right by the Varsity Theater where we did that show is an old-fashioned Dairy Queen uh, with the outdoor windows that you walk up to. And the ice cream there is just phenomenally delicious. And the experience of it, of just kind of hanging out there on the strip, there's not even really a place to sit. You know, it's the old-fashioned Dairy Queen. And they have the old machines and I'm not sure there's, you know, they, they were probably there before Derek Green was even a franchise. Um, and it's been there for like 60 years. It's just a fantastic place to eat ice cream. And just to, you walk up to the window and they open the sliding window up and you order an ice cream cone. And 
you know, you're not there to get, you know, shrimp popcorn and, you know, a value meal. You're there to get an ice cream cone or a hot cup Sunday. And it's just. That's great. Now, uh, this fall, uh, Jason and the Scorchers, you guys are going to be out on tour with uh, Dan Beard and uh, Dan Bard and the Homemade Sin and Kentucky Headhunters. How did uh, this pairing come about? Somebody just fell in my lap. I can take no real credit for it. They just called me and said, would you like to do this? And, and I said, yes, it's going to be an exciting experience. No doubt that those three bands are good bands all in one night. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. And I see that uh, you guys are going to hit the UK again. This must be one of your uh, good hotspots for both you as a solo artist and uh, the Scorchers, because you're going there as a solo artist and then you're going back to the UK in the fall with the Scorchers. That's correct. Yeah. UK is, for all music, UK is, you, you really, I wouldn't say have to have a presence there, but it's really important. Uh, you know, the amount of live gigs that are there, the press and radio that comes out of the UK, it, it, you just, you, you really need to have a presence in the United Kingdom to make it in the music business, I think. All right, Jason, anything else you want to, you want to mention? Uh, we can talk about, uh, we can talk some more about the new album. Yeah, you know, I, I really enjoyed making the record, and I did a lot of it in Southern Illinois after I wrote it in Square. So, you know, we had the big record release show there this this uh, last week, and just really enjoyed it. A lot of great musicians. It's a very funky, cool place. Southern Illinois is way more Appalachian than corn, than you know, than the than the Corn Belt. It's uh, it's a really cool place. Funky, vibey, a lot of great musicians. Jason, your new album, Stand Tall, is out now. You can get it wherever you get music. Uh, tour dates at jasonringenberg.com and get your Scorchers in, uh, info at jasonandthescorchers.com. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on Destination Eat Drink. Good luck with the album. Good luck with the tour. Love the new record. Thank you, Brian. It's been a real pleasure doing this. Quite a different interview than what I'm used to doing. I, I can I can say I loved it. <laughs> Good deal. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing you on the road and at uh, the local fish and chip shack in the UK. Amen. You know, I feel so fortunate that I had Jason Ringenberg on the podcast. Jason's a humble guy and he plays down the influences. But I got to tell you, Without Jason and the Scorchers, without Jason, all of these country bands, all these rock bands that are combining the two, you know, country bands putting in Led Zeppelin riffs or putting in hard rock riffs or punk rock riffs, those guys wouldn't be around without Jason and the Scorchers. So thanks to Jason Ringenberg for being on the podcast. I'm Brent Peterson. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>